Hey everybody, welcome to Liberty and Friends. That's right, Liberty and Friends. Brought to you, of course, in partnership with the Institute of Race Relations. Guys, welcome to the show. I'm your host, your favorite fat boy, the one you haven't heard from in a while, Big Daddy Liberty. So good to be back. Oh man, do I have a special guest for you guys today. A voice who you are used to on the other show that I have called Blacks Only. And I hope you guys are enjoying his insights into a lot of things. Um, But before I get to that, let's have our weekly rant. Um, The weekly rant. Now, let's see. It's my birthday today. And I have... Um, oh, thank you very much. Uh, for those who didn't hear him, he's Piaco um, saying happy birthday. But um, we'll get to him just now. We'll get to him just now. But um, I've been having a back and forth to an extent with the uh, provincial minister or the MEC of education in Gauteng. Um, that's Mr. Pangaza Lesufi. Pangaza Lesufi is an attention whore. He is someone who chases clout. He's not very articulate on a lot of the populist points that he holds, but he's a populist and the worst type, one that leans on the left. He is a race pimp. He will find an issue which he deems fits his um, narrative. And the narrative that he generally and broadly holds is white people bad or broadly Afrikaans bad, segueing to white people bad, of course, but he'll never say that. Um, And of course, all things black and blackness, because he trades in that world of identity politics, um, is good or to be held up and not uh, held in a critical light at all, viewed with any sort of critical analysis. I find that completely, completely abhorrent because, and it's not so much the white versus black thing that I find abhorrent, it's it's any racial nationalism um, that really just rubs me up the wrong way. Because if you refuse to see people as individuals, if you refuse to see people as just ordinary people that have... Um, uh, things that they care about, which you care about too. Like who doesn't care about um, personal development? Who doesn't care about individual freedoms to be able to pursue the things that you want to do with your life? Who doesn't care about the fact that we all care about family and we often do things for the benefit of, of empowering families? If you don't see society in that lens, um, and you choose to see society in collectivist terms, like those black people, or those white people, or those rich people, or those poor people. If that is how you see primarily the world, then you've got a very tainted view of the world. You'll never really understand people. You'll never understand human action. You'll never understand individuals and why they make the certain decisions that they make. And instead, you'll ascribe to them um, a group identity that often doesn't even match who they are as individuals and match who they are as people. Um, and what's worse to me, and why I want to bring it back to Panyaza Lusufi, is that here's someone who occupies the levers of state power and essentially has corrupted, um, and I use these words purposefully, but to me he's corrupted their efficacy by his racial tinge, or excuse me, by his viewing the world through a racial tinge, um, because now he alienates some communities 
that he's supposed to serve um, because he picks the winners and the losers in his mind based on race and based on nationalist sentiments. So anybody who sees the world like as he does, for example, that everything pro-black is fantastic and, you know, uh, without criticism or whatever the case may be, um, and that he has a duty in terms of how he views himself um, to call out um, things that are alien to him or that he considers alien, like you know, Afrikaans speakers, um, and use the, the, the sort of tired tropes that we're used to in this country, that somehow Afrikaans is a white language. It's just spoken by white people predominantly and that it comes with oppression. All these sort of you know, talking points that you, you'll even see on social media. That is when a politician will rub me up the wrong way because when you take up, whether you, you agree that there should be um, these levels of government or not, but when you take up a position in those, in those um, structures of government, you're actually there to serve all South Africans. And the Constitution, and I have my criticisms of it, but in any event, the Constitution guarantees people's abilities to express themselves and to um, preserve their culture, preserve their language, et cetera, et cetera, because it recognizes that that is actual diversity, is that people can and should be different, and that difference is not a bad thing. Um, difference is not a threatening thing. It's, it's actual diversity, and diversity means a lot of things, not just racial. People who speak Afrikaans in this country um, make up a very large proportion of the population, and they're not just white individuals. Um, Afrikaners does not mean white. It means individuals who speak Afrikaans, and invariably you'll quickly realize that more people of color, and I, I use that word purposefully for you PC people, but more black people, if I want to be blunt, um, speak Afrikaans in this country than white South Africans. Um, so that when you have a politician, let me circle back to where this began with Lusufi, when you then have a politician who takes issue with a group of individuals who came together voluntarily and built something which they see important in the name of preserving their language and their culture, i.e. A, a private institute institution of education, for, to have a politician then bark at them from the sidelines, meanwhile his party has presided over the absolute um, decay of the quality of education in this country, for that same politician to have the goal to criticize a group of private individuals taking initiative, taking, um, you know, uh, uh, responsibility for themselves and their friends and their family was something which I just found to be, it, it really wrapped me up the wrong way. And the fact that he's now blocked me on social media because I've literally been putting these rational points to him is really, it says more about him than it does about me. Politicians in this country are so used to being clapped on and being encouraged by racists essentially to say stupid crap. Um, you know, when you have a politician like Lesufi basically saying, oh, Afrikaans is exclusionary and, you know, it's, it's um, I look at these racists building an institution for whites only, even though no evidence, he pro pro provides no evidence for that claim, yet there's this gaggle of idiots on social media going, yeah, Lesufi, you're fantastic, tell them, Lesufi, tell them, put them in their place. When you have people like that being the loudest voices in the room, that's when you know your society is going down the wrong path. That is not how you address race relations, but firstly in the country, and it's also not how you build a society um, of tolerance where people can actually say, hey, I believe in this, and that guy believes in that, um, but I have no place bothering the next guy or preventing the next guy from pursuing whatever he, he or she feel, feels um, you know, uh, empowers them in their community and just helps them express themselves as individuals. Lusufi is not 
that kind of person. He's not a tolerant person. And don't be fooled by the exterior. This isn't a guy, you know, you know, I, you know, they hide behind these um, official titles and they're, you know, they're, they're uh, um, look, they basically hide behind their official titles and they use very, um, they use sophistry, right? And it's sort of these these convoluted and complex arguments which actually don't say anything, but at the same time mask, for those who aren't listening, for those who aren't aware, they mask their actual racism. Um, and I'm happy to say this out. Lusufi is a racist. He's someone who views white South Africans as somehow inherently being evil or inherently wanting to do something evil. And he doesn't judge people by the content of their character. He judges people by their race. He judges people by... Um, you know, their their creed and where they're from and their income levels, et cetera, et cetera. At no point um, do I think we should entertain politicians like that. In fact, I would encourage anybody who listens to this show to be the kind of person who calls out a politician who's like that. Whether it's Julius Malema, whether it's Pumzile Van Damme when she trades on race, um, you know, whether it's Pangazelu Sufi, I don't choose the politicians that I criticize. I criticize all douchebags who are racist. I criticize all losers who want to create that divide in this country based on race, gender, or any of these other sort of identity traits that really say very little about who we are. Um, and maybe as a final thought, um, we need to be at the forefront of encouraging a conversation in this country that values uh, real diversity and intellectual diversity is the one I prize the most. I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you're white, Indian or colored, that's all irrelevant to me. My question is, do you bring ideas to the table that we can discuss rationally and reasonably and come to consensus? Or if we don't, we disagree respectfully and we tolerate each other's views. Those are liberal principles. Toleration is a liberal principle that we often forget exists in this country. So on those few words and on that rant, um, which is actually quite a calm one. I thought I was going to get angry because he really annoyed me <laughs> over the last two weeks. But on those words, that's my liberal message and my liberal rant for the day. You know, Let's become the society that actually builds intellectual diversity and tolerates people of other cultures, people with other views and other ideas. But at the same time, we call out the racists and we call out um, you know, the, the sort of identity pimps um, who are ever increasingly some of the loudest voices on social media. Welcome to the show. Um, a quick shout out to the Frederick Nauman Foundation. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting the show as we fight for liberal values on Africa. You can check out the Frederick Nauman Foundation by, well, finding them online, I suppose. Just search for FNF. They do a lot of good work, including supporting this channel. Shout out to you guys at the FNF. Speaking about another um, acronym that sounds like FNF, um, I'm with Mr. Mpiake Gamini from the FMF, that's F, uh, Free Market Foundation, excuse me, lol. Um, and uh, he's uh, joining us in studio today. Um, Mpiake, how are you doing, my good brother? I'm good, man, I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, still surviving and happy birthday, man. Hey, thanks, man, <laughs> thanks, dog. Um, thank you very much, I really appreciate that. Um, funny enough, I don't celebrate birthdays, but I just thought to myself, hey, you know what? Um, let me actually share the fact that it's my yeah, birthday. Yeah. I did so this morning yeah. on social media, and yeah, man, my I just had this this um, should I call it a burning desire just to have ama um, resolutions um, and birthday wishes, you know? And I, I I sort of shared this morning that my three birthday wishes um, as I turn oh my, how old am I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
33, I think I'm turning 33 this year, um, is, hey, first things first, you know, is to beat the bulge. I've got to lose weight. Mm. Um, I'm very conscious about, you know, the um, health implications that come with being obese. It's not a funny uh, topic. It's not a joke. South Africans are, there's a very large proportion of this country which is overweight. In fact, we're one of the heaviest people in the world mm. if you look at some of the um, data that's come out. Um, and my goal weight is definitely to beat the bulge from this birthday to the next one, hopefully, God willing, um, and, you know, reach my goal weight of 110 kgs. Bezrat um, Hashem, mm. hopefully I'll get to that. And speaking about Hashem, uh, you know, my second goal is to get closer to, to God, to Hashem, and to daven better. Davening is, um, uh, let's call it praying, uh, for, for those who might aren't, aren't too aware of um, the Jewish religion. But um, that's another thing I want to strengthen my relationship with God. And of course, you know, help build this country, build yeah. its economy, build its people, change it towards becoming a more freedom-loving, prosperous society through the Big Daddy Liberty brand. I want to reach out to more of you, the listeners. You know, Invite me out to your part of the world. Let's have a conversation. I have a speech I deliver, 25-minute speech um, that clearly sets out where the country is, how we got to this point, um, and what the implications are, are for you as an individual and your family. But more importantly, what we can do to actually fight back and win the battle of ideas and create a freedom-loving, prosperous and property-earning society. We can do that. We, we don't have to be a society of people who flee um, <clears throat> and look for plan Bs in other countries. Let's fight for this, this place that we call our home. Um, so if I can contribute to that as Big Daddy Liberty, I'm definitely keen um, on doing that. But guys, as I said, um, without much further ado, uh, we've got Mr. Mpiake Yamini in the house. Mpiake and I are going to have a uh, about a 25-minute chat from this point, um, a 20-minute chat or so. About their recently released um, data, you know, the um, World Freedom Index. Now, this is one which they produce every year. Mm. Well, they definitely share with the country, excuse me, every year. And um, it's the Economic Freedom of the World Report, the EFW Report for 2019. And obviously, the big takeout there is that South Africa, the country that you and I call home, has fallen um, 54 places in the World Freedom Index uh, in just 19 years. I mean, we've essentially tumbled in, in the economic freedom yeah. specter. And I want to open up the questioning by saying, look, Mbiaki, we've, um, we're now ranked, you know, one number 101 yeah. out of 162 countries. Um, what's, what's going on, Mbiaki? Why are we falling like this? I, I think it's a, it has to do with uh, two, two things mainly. Uh, the first thing is the, uh, the the South African government's response to the 2008 crisis, which was basically uh, the, their theory told them that uh, when you go into a recession, you spend money, <laughs> which was which which turned out to be a big mistake. I, I see that there's. I was reading a few columns that I see there seems people still calling for fiscal stimulus. Mm -hmm. It has been it has proven itself to fail. I mean, people people talk about state capture, but they never. I've, I hardly ever hear anyone uh, interrogating why state capture was possible under Zuma, but not possible under Mpegi. And 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 it's not just because Mpegi was a good guy and Zuma was a bad guy. I mean, there was still corruption under Mpegi, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of it he enabled himself. So the I, the main difference there was just there was more to steal under Zuma because government was spending more. It's as simple as that. If you spend more uh, on tenders and things like that, on things that require the state to give discretionary approval for, like see bureaucrats, politicians, and all of these people. 
to give discretionary approval for tenders and things like that, then you you are just inviting corruption. I mean, it's a it's a basic rule of law point. Uh, in order in order to prevent against corruption, you should never put these people into making um, uh, these subjective decisions as to who receives uh, funding. And in particular, I'm referring here to things like PE because it adds in subjectivity. There's no objective thing such as uh, cold race. And so people like if if you're saying that okay, uh, I need I, I need a certain number of PE points for this particular tender. You're not saying anything about the merits of mm. the people who are going to get the tender. You are just saying that I need uh, people with a certain level of pigmentation in their skin, which is which has nothing to do with the job at hand. And then that those things allow uh, because it, it what it allows the bureaucrats to do is to say, let's say for example, just to give you a practical example, uh, two people apply for a tender. One white guy. Uh, oh, let's say three people. One white guy, one black guy. Who are, the white guy and the black guy are both equally um, meritorious. They, they, they are equally well suited for the tender. They can do the job. And then you have a dead black guy who can't do the job. And so, well, when it comes to bid adjudication, like in the in the final step, the civil servant or the politician, whoever's deciding, is going to look at these two. Uh, is going to uh, let's say they have a connection with a dead guy who can't do the job, but he happens to be black. Yeah. They're going to set it up like this. They're going to say, okay, we have a white guy, and then we, but because we are pursuing PE, we must choose the we must choose a black person, and then the, and then it, it almost doesn't matter which black person you choose now, mm-hmm. because once you've accepted the premise, which you must choose a black person, then you can always take it for and say, oh no no no. This one is uh, uh, this one is more privileged, so let's choose this particular person, whatever the reason may be. But once you put in race instead of merit, they are all, all better off. And so this is a long way of me saying that the reason why we have fallen so much in the AFW because the our lowest our lowest area score there are five areas in the AFW is in the size can, of government area. Can I quickly interject mm. that before we get to the five criteria uh, or components that you guys mm. use in terms of uh, adjudicating mm. the uh, country's um, mm. institutions and and policies in, uh, and where they place them in, in the Freedom Index, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, you made an important point, mm. um, Biak. The point you drove home for me is that when you have policies like about BE, mm-hmm. affirmative action, what you're effectively doing also is you're placing the power predominantly in the hands of a, a, a small elite who are mm-hmm. decision makers, mm-hmm. uh, invariably those who are in government, yeah. invariably those who are either bureaucrats or politicians, etc., etc. And depending on what their particular persuasion is, um, they can pick and win, choose winners and losers in yeah. society. And it, it then stands to reason, when you then say they are the ones who choose, ne, mm. that whoever's within their circle of, of friends, their circle of cronies, if you will, they become the biggest beneficiaries. Yep. Often times contra to what the, the stated policy is yeah. so we, we said affirmative action we said BEE um, two policies that I don't support for yeah. this very reason because usually it's those black individuals who are actually very privileged yeah. who happen to be friends connections cronies of the poli- the political elites if mm. you will mm. they're the ones who yeah. become perpetual beneficiaries and then they do this weird thing and I want to put it to you before we get back into the report they do this weird thing in Biak of saying well even though we are perpetual beneficiaries, mm. um, in other words, they don't have this concept of once empowered, always empowered. Yeah. They, they can be empowered as many times <laughs> as they want to be. Yeah. They then say, well, we, we understand that it's only a small black elite that's now benefiting from this, mm. invariably those who are connected to politicians. But at least it's blacks, right? They, that's what they say. It's, this is blacks yeah. benefiting. And um, the, 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 the vast majority of excluded black uh, individuals who are poor, who are not connected, mm. well, they can live through us. 
as this the small elite. Have you not heard the sort of no? Uh, right. I, I I've sort of I I I've I've come across it uh, like it's common, like you've said. It's uh, it's it's the weirdest thing. It's like saying um, <laughs> uh, the people in Zimbabwe benefited when Mugabe became wealthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the same kind of logic. So there's nothing about uh, another black person. I mean, good for them if they Absolutely. if they end their wealth. Like, good for them. Like, all, all power to them. But there's nothing inherently within just for the fact that someone is becoming wealthy that makes you wealthy. I'm not saying you should envy them. I'm just saying like there's nothing that's in, uh, just tra- there's nothing that will transfer to you. Exactly. About you, you can't live vicariously through you, this individual. You, 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 you can't live through but, someone else. But you yeah. hear them, especially the ones who are who who feel the guilt, I suppose, mm. of of being a political beneficiary, mm. um, and not necessarily someone who's maybe like a, a yeah. genuine entrepreneur built it from scratch. Mm. They're the ones who are who are the loudest voices and saying things like, "Yes, we we represent the aspirations of the black majority." And I'm like, "Really? Yeah, it I sounds t- like you represent <laughs> yourself, yeah, and you just sort of." <laughs> it's actually a very immoral thing to say. Absolutely, because it, it clears you of your of, of responsibility to your. Uh, I mean, to to your fellow man, it clears you of the wrong you have done in like in, in essentially getting um, stealing money from the South African public. Mm. So this is it's it's a very immoral thing to say, and uh, it's just like to, to, for if someone to even make that point. It just shows you how far someone would, where has fallen to even make that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my grandmother used to say something. Used to say she used to say, "Usun uh, rulil." It's like <laughs> you've gone beyond. Like so, you've gone beyond your conscience. You've gone beyond all concepts of morality. You just like you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. I'm sorry. I did. I did sort of have us digress. <clears throat> Let's come back to yeah. the the um, economic freedom of the world report. Mm-hmm. There's five criteria, there's five mm. um, components mm. which you use to judge a country's policies and institutions, mm. um, which you, you sort of say, sorry, the, the, let me rephrase that, I'm, my, 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 my apologies. <coughs> the EFW index measures the degree to which a country's policies and institutions mm. support economic freedom, yeah. and it's the premier measurement of essentially um, mm. the economic systems. And there's five main components. Yeah. What are they? And talk to me about South Africa. Okay, so the first and most important uh, area, oh, okay, I won't say most important, that's a mistake. I think all of them are equally important, Mm -hmm. but the first area is the size of government area. It's important in South Africa's context because that's been our biggest fall over the past uh, decade or so, and uh, it's also our lowest uh, area ranking, where I think we're 113th in the size of government area. So the, 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 the second area... I think it's the legal system and property rights area. So this sort of basically measures the rule of law within the country. That, that's essentially what it is. Uh, are property rights protected? Are disputes able to be resolved? Mm-hmm. And then the third area, I think, would be the uh, the inflation or the sound money area, which basically means, means uh, measures to the extent to which your government in that country messes with the, the money of the population. And so like in Zimbabwe, for example, they've historically had low scores on that because they decided to print money without, with abandon. <laughs> and then countries which sort of uh, restrict how much money they print and like uh, sort of discipline themselves, they tend to do better on that index. South Africa is not too bad in that area, but uh, it could be better. And so the, the so the, that would be the sound money area. And then the dev. So we've done size of government. We've done uh, sound money. Um, 
freedom to trade? Yeah, freedom to trade. Sorry, yeah. So freedom to trade is sort of measures the the degree to which you can trade freely with other countries in the world or with other people of the world. And so this area would measure things like uh, how easy it is to get uh, to import things, how easy it is to export, uh, regulator uh, uh, non-tariff and tariff barriers uh, to the extent to those. Uh, so hopefully with the new Africa free trade, uh, continental free trade agreement, mm. we will see some improvements across the entire continent. Mm. But I mean, it's just uh, it's just a words on a paper, and we know how Africa <laughs> can disappoint you, even when agreements have been signed, things have been agreed, and you know. So, uh, it's, but we we hope that uh, eventually we we will finally get there. And so, one the fourth area, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not doing this in order. Oh, the fifth one, yeah, the fifth one, the regulation area. So this uh, this measures the extent to which government tells you what to do with your uh, in the contracts that you sign, in the property that you own. So basically, this area measures. Uh, so if you own property, uh, to what extent does government tell you what you can and can't do with that property? If you sign a contract, to what extent does government include extra provisions or remove provisions mm. in a freely agreed contract between two people? So that's what that area measures, and that's in fact, fun enough, that would be. Um, the area that South Africa does uh, relative, relative to ourselves, of course, we do, we do best in. We I think we are ranked 74 in that area, which is the only area we in which we break into the second quartile of economic freedom, which is very, very bad. It's not something to be proud of. <laughs> um, now, talk to me then about South Africa. Mm. Um, I'm just reading off my, my notes here. Mm. But in, the past, in the past five years, South Africa's largest falls are compliance that that, that um, compliance costs excuse me mm. of importing and I- uh, exporting which was down from 7.5 to 4.7 I'm, I'm assuming this is the metric used to measure um, the other area was the extra payments i.e bribes mm. which saw us uh, fall from 7.5 um, to 2.8 mm. um, and of course the protection of property rights which also saw a drastic fall from 7.7 7 to 7 uh, to 5.4 yeah. um, these are just scores I think that they were using mm. um, these are three key areas here weren't they in terms of describing South Africa's fall but what else could we tell us about South Africa so these these areas are sort of related because all of them are sort of like a rule of law type of areas because what what happens there is that um, well, if it's easy, the effect that officials who are supposed to be enforcing regulations and other things like uh, can be bribed, it means then there is no there is no fairness really, and so this is uh, it comes along with the fact that uh, the impartiality of the judiciary has the, has declined pretty significantly uh, since last year. Another area which has declined significantly since last year would be property rights. So uh, this uh, this another important point to make this this EF this EFW report it's the 2019 report but it's based on data from 2017 so like the report is sort of two years ahead of the data and so it, it already in 2017 which which was interesting to me between 2016 and 2017 we are already seeing huge drops in the perception of uh, South Africa's property rights and so you can imagine that uh, how is next year's EFW and the year after that is going to look like because in 2017 we were only just that thing to talk about EWC and other such things. And so now we've also introduced like uh, prescribed assets and uh, other proposals like the NHI. So it's bound to get to us and a lot of other regulations. And so this is... Uh, if, if if we did if we were hundred and first in 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 twenty seventeen, I can't imagine what we what we what, what where we'll be ranked at the end of this year. So it's uh, it, it's looking dire. 
someone who's listening to this um maybe who leans on the left is might mm. be thinking ah oh, there they go again uh these these libertarians and classical liberals and blah 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 these mm. conservatives they like talking about this economic freedom yeah. but economic freedom doesn't mean anything it's meaningless it's just you know um this uh, something that they can pat themselves back on because they are uh, supported by the IMF and the World Bank and the Bretton Woods institutions uh, big capital evil evil capitalists yeah. now these are obviously the common tropes that yeah. we'll hear but i want to put it to you back um, and i want you to speak to uh, speak to it there's a correlation yeah between those countries that enjoy high levels of economic freedom yeah. and um and their state generally the, the state yeah. of the populace the state of uh the society etc yeah. etc et um what do we know about that so for example i uh, just to give you one uh, thing like uh, the, the most uh, common uh, graph i use for this purpose uh, and the afw as well they all they always include this graph is the one comparing uh, economic freedom with G- gdp per capita what you see if you look at the data is that uh, uh the, the the difference between the most free country and the and uh, the most free countries the top quartile of the most free countries and the least uh, the the least free con- uh, countries in terms of the quartiles like in terms of like 25% uh, segments basically mm. so the difference between those two types of types of countries is something like $30,000 so the the, f- the most free countries the average income per capita is $36,770 dollars while the least free countries is only $6,140. And there is a clear correlation there. <coughs> so that's a, if, if for me, to that, to that alone would be enough. I would say, okay, obviously, uh, economic freedom is the best system. But then you look at other things, like, uh, for example, uh, uh, this is a graph that I did myself, uh, just to shut people up who were complaining this year and blaming capitalism for the violence against women. What I actually found is that the difference in... In 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 female homicide per hundred k of the population, uh, in the least free countries have around about three uh, homicides per hundred k of the population in terms of quartile, and then the most free countries have something like um, one point three around about there. So the difference is <laughs> that's that's Stark a massive difference. It's 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 less it's, it's less than half. Absolutely. So and 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 let, let, let's let's chew into this one a bit more because. I need people to understand that economic freedom opens up doors man. exactly that that change societies mm. um that you know for instance <clears throat> you can have two countries begin dirt poor large uh, mm. unempl- uh, unemployment numbers large poverty numbers mm. um you name it in terms of the bad economic metrics but the journeys that they take mm. can be so divergent if one takes a a pathway of um more freedom mm. and the other takes the the pathway of more government intervention mm. more uh, uh, essentially get giving politicians more power let's zoom in on the on the countries that are cited in the report as having the highest uh, some of the highest um economic free- freedom in my notes here i'm i'm seeing um hong kong was yeah. cited singapore, uh, singapore yeah. and even new zealand yeah. um talk to us about the top 10 and pick of those you, you have the strongest grasp on pick some of the countries that that, that we can have a conversation my, about my, my favorite my favorite country in the top 10 is uh, mauritius <laughs> oh, <laughs> because wow. because it's 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 in africa and hardly a, anyone ever notices the mauritians and i mean they they've been consistently in the top 10 of the fw the only 
African country that even comes close. I mean, the next African country I think is in the 40s or something like that. And that's Botswana, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's always changing between Botswana and Rwanda. Yes. They sort of compete against each other. But yeah, they, like it's even South Africa has never gone above 40 mm. in in terms of the ranking. And so Mauritius just it decided that it, it saw what it what worked in the rest of the world. Absolutely. It saw the kind of institutions that worked in the rest of the world, and it just adopted those institutions, and they are doing well. And of course, like I, I tend to focus mostly on Africa. And so, like uh, uh, Rwanda as well has been uh, very impressive to me. I mean, they are ca- uh, unlike Mauritius; they are they are they are actually coming off a low base. I was about to say that yeah. Rwanda is the wonder kid, so exactly. to speak. Yeah. Of it. I mean, here's a country which in 1994, Zolonje, as we say in Zulu, genocide. Yeah. They literally saw millions of yeah. people dead on the streets. But today, there is such a different story, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. No, it's uh, considering what that country went through. I mean, people always say things like, "Oh no." Uh, Around Rwanda might be growing fast, but the South African economy is still something like ten times bigger, something like that. And I, 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 and I always say the same thing. I mean, the point is for the for what they went through to be where they are now is nothing short of a miracle. Absolutely. And 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 only and only free freedom, free markets, property rights can do this. And I mean, I, I know that they have there are problems with their a very authoritarian regime. Uh, I think this is uh, unfortunately this we tend to see this happen uh, quite a bit in Singapore was another example, um, uh, also Chile and a few other countries. So unfortunately, some in some countries economic freedom tends uh, comes through 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 this authoritarian uh, door. So, but uh, that, that's unfortunate. But it does show in terms of it, just looking at it empirically, it does show that economic freedom where it to the degree that it is implemented or introduced into a country does work and it does uh, change people's lives for the better look at ethiopia now like which is the has been the fastest growing country on the continent for close to 20 years now <laughs> and it's it's been like imagine having a 10 percent uh, like being have over a span of 20 years your lowest uh, uh, economic growth rate being eight eight percent that's it's <laughs> and and they want more because they I've, I've just said now that they want to liberalize they think they think it's not enough because they they see that they have poor people they want to get those people out of poverty Absolutely. so they they are, they've decided to sell some of their state's owned companies and this made me laugh because I remember a few years ago uh, someone someone in the in the ruling party was saying something to the effect of we should become more like Ethiopia and China, like we become a developmental state, like own all of these state-owned companies. But Ethiopia is saying, no, we want to privatize. <laughs> and it, again, it, it comes back to just a a, a sheer ignorance by our policymakers, mm. by our politicians, even the China that they cite. Mm. I often tell people, China's wealth is 100% private sector generated. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the state-owned enterprises that they cite and say, oh, look at how many state-owned enterprises mm. they have, are loss-making entities. They they run at a loss, uh, almost exactly like Abo Eskom and Transnet and the like. In mm. fact, they are sustained, if you will, by a private sector. And really, maybe as a final point here, when I say private sector, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about big industries, mm. heavy industries. You know, it can be your mom and pop shop, the yeah. guy who runs a touch shop on the corner. But from that, they generate wealth savings, and from savings, they generate yeah. options. Um, Biaki, let, let's stay with these countries. Let's yeah. stay with these countries. Um, and I want to let's touch again on e Africa yeah. because there also are African countries that are on the other side of the spectrum. But we'll get to that just yeah. now. But you look at your countries like Botswana, our neighbor. You look at countries like Mauritius, who you've mentioned, which to, to an extent I can call them the neighbors also because they're just across the pond, so to speak. Um, 
they get it, don't they? They understand that the real power of any society is being able to free up individuals, families, to be the ones who pursue their own interests. Mm. And from that, people derive economic benefits. So our chief economist here, um, Ian Cruikshanks, often makes the the point that, you know, if you had a society where one guy had the skills of laying bricks, Mm. the other guy has the skills of mixing cement, those two chaps get together, they hire someone to push the wheelbarrow mm. for them. They're generating economic yeah. um, activity. They build a wall. Let's mm. say in uh, <laughs> Trump will be happy to hear <laughs> me say that anyway. Um, but let's say they build a wall for Mrs. Mazibuko in Alex. Yeah. Mrs. Mazibuko's neighbor sees this wall and goes, wow, this is beautiful work. Guys, why don't you come and work for me? You suddenly build an ecosystem yeah. where, yes, maybe to you and me, it's not a lot, right? Because mm. they're, really, they're not millionaires. But they're, they're generating income yeah. in a part of the world where maybe the only income that was available was state uh, was was derived from the state. Mm. But suddenly, this economic activity and that's the key, isn't it? Economic yeah. activity yeah. investment. Yeah, so, uh, 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 David wrote when he was at the FMF said something very uh, interesting and important. He says the the, the, the miracle of uh, uh, of or, or let's say capitalism is this uh, is this uh, ceaseless drive to eliminate transaction costs. Mm. So this this idea that uh, mm. if if you want something you should be able to get it as easily as 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 humanly possible and there are people working hard to make sure that you get it as easily as humanly possible and this is this is this is a genius of capitalism because others get rewarded when they serve other people and I think this is you see this in your example for example uh, sorry <laughs> in your example where, where where you have people who get together do something that is going to be valuable to someone else a third party and they are and, and in the meantime help each other and help the this other person there's nothing more it, uh, there's nothing more altruistic, more beneficial to mankind than that. Mm-hmm. This idea. I mean, like, I, and uh, one of the other things I wanted to address was this idea that uh, this uh, the Scandinavian countries uh, are somehow socialist. Mm. If you look at the EFW, all of them are either in the first or the second quartile of the economic freedom in the world. They are not where South Africa is. Mm. People say we should become more like them. Yes, let's become more like them. Let's let's increase our ranking. But at right right this moment, the difference between us and them is that they, they 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 tend to have more economic freedom. The people that uh, like people who who who, cha- who who's claim to be championing the Scandinavian model are people who don't tend, generally don't understand it very well. They think it's just you know uh, full socialism, uh, you know owning the means of production by government and you know. Because they, they they focus on the redistributive side yeah. of the economy yeah. and not necessarily what they do to generate that income. Exactly. I mean, these are free countries to an extent economically. I mean, Sweden, for example, um, there's no minimum wage. Yeah. They generally don't necessarily, you don't have a, a relationship, um, a unionist relationship mm. between politicians and union bosses. Um, people are free to generate contracts, work mm. contracts that benefit and suit them. Um, there's freedom, for example, around choice. Yeah. Uh, the school choice there. Yeah. I mean, they have a voucher system um, yeah. to a large extent. These are the very things. And I was even surprised when I was preparing for my NHI presentation that uh, uh, most of these Scandinavian countries actually have choice in healthcare as well. Like you hear sing, uh, single payer, but what you, do, what you don't realize is that it's very decentralized. Absolutely. Like each, each region has its own 
separate region I'll single payer and as a, as a customer you can move across regions and say okay if this region is not doing it for you I mean it's not ideal from a free market perspective yes. but it's not the single payer that we've been Absolutely. told yeah. in other words there's even for 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 their iteration of uh, a single payer yeah. system there's a recognition that central planning yes. is a problem yes. Yes. in other words having a central authority mm. planning on behalf of society so they decentralize as much yeah. as possible but as you said you're right it's not the ideal system of yeah. course they can move <laughs> in a more direction of freedom and even improve mm. that system and just on the other one on, on the issue of health um you know those societies <clears throat> even their um public health system has some of the problems that ours have here mm. in in South Africa for example elective surgeries there can take as long as they do yeah. at somewhere like Curtis Care Hospital yeah. for example even in in Sweden believe yeah. it or not um but anyway we, we 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 digress a little bit um i wanted us to come to the 10 lowest yeah. countries <laughs> um because as you guys also say in your press release it's unsurprising the yeah. list that mm. is um let me quickly gloss through them and then we'll zoom in on a few that are maybe African in, in, in nature and we'll have a chat about that. So the 10 lowest are Iraq, the Republic of Congo, uh, Egypt, Syria, uh, um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, which DRC, um, uh, Angola, which is quite close to us, Algeria, Sudan, Libya, and of course, Venezuela. No surprises yeah. there. Let's begin with the lowest hanging fruit before we come back to Africa, Venezuela. Mm. Why are they at the very bottom of the list? Oh well, it's uh, it's very simple. They decided to seize all private, uh, virtually all private property, seize the means of production. I mean, this is this is the outcome. And they've become poor, and uh, unsurprisingly, they've also fallen in this ranking. And since it's, it's like uh, the report itself is two years ahead, so it's uh, they've probably even fallen even further. Like we'll see in a two years time, in two years time, how far they're falling. But I think it's much much worse because they've actually uh, they they accelerated their pre their their, their their printing of money. Yeah. Yeah. So over the past few years, so and as, sorry, I was about to say, mm. Venezuela is the textbook what the South African politician yeah. wants. Mm. Country that went through land expropriation without mm. compensation, they did that in two thousand and five. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Chavez started confiscating farms, mm. and those farms which were productive, <coughs> excuse me, those farms which <laughs> were productive and they were generating food for the economy suddenly became fallow, yeah. and they had to become a net importer of food. Uh, uh, they went through a pr um, the, the, excuse me, sorry, I'm tongue twisted here. Um, their politicians uh, expropriated businesses, mm. in other words, uh, private property. You, you had scenes, for example, where state television, their version of SABC, would follow Chavez as he does a lunchtime yeah, walk through the streets. <laughs> yeah. um, and of course, he's flanked by his party mm. supporters. And what, it's all staged, of course, uh, or this part was staged. And his party supporters say, oh, Mr. Chavez, oh, wonderful Chavez. Um, can even substitute Malema in that just to get a <laughs> sense of what he wants to, to have as a power. But anyway, oh, Mr. Chavez, that bakery across the road is charging us way too much for bread. And then Chavez, you know, clears his throat. <laughs> Look with a very stern face in the direction of the bakery, walk up to its door and then say, expropria, expropria, expropriated, expropriated. <laughs> and just like that, a business owner, yeah. a small entrepreneur would lose mm. their businesses. There was mm. images of, of, um, 
almost usually family businesses, mm. the, the mm. father coming out in tears mm. and saying, please don't do this. You know, I, I hire people who put bread on the table from what I do. But of course, the, the lefty, the communist doesn't care. He sees his power as being more important. I, I digressed here, but the point I wanted to make is a lot of the same policies that you're clapping on uh, parties like the EFF and the ANC to do in South Africa mm. have been tried before in Venezuela and you now see the, the fruits of that with Venezuela being dead last on the list. And I think you actually very, make a very good point. I mean, there's a lot of people uh, in in the middle class supporting like these socialist policies and they don't realize that they are the ones who are the first victims because what happens is all the time the rich live, the, the middle class and the poor people are left and then the the only one who take things from is always the middle class, and so all of these people who think that uh, somehow government is going to effect a transfer of wealth from them from some rich white monopoly capital somewhere, they they are in for a rude awakening because when <laughs> when government gains this power to violate individual liberty, it will it will use it to serve its own interests, of course, and there won't be any rich to uh, to to victimize or to seize wealth from. So. No, you're dead right. And this is why I wanted to come back to the other African countries on this list. And mm. I want us to focus on African countries because often people say, oh, but now you're comparing us to developed nations mm. around the world, blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay, fine. Let's focus on some of the African countries that are lowest ranking on the list. Let's <coughs> avoid the ones that are maybe war zones to an extent. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to look at uh, Libya, for example. Okay. Let's go to the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is also one of the lowest rated countries in the top uh, or bottom 10, sorry, uh, rated countries. Now, why I'm zooming in on the DRC, and I'll, I'll, I'll lead you with a question on this one. You know, there's this weird reasoning by often leftists, communist, socialist statists, who say, you know, Africa's rich in resources. Mm. And because of that, um, it's that alone, essentially. Mm. If they, if we can just have the government control the resources, no, it's, it's, yeah. then we'll be wealthy, mm. we'll be rich. Congo, of any African country perhaps on this continent, yeah. has the deepest pockets when it yeah. comes to natural resources, mm. from cobalt, um, copper, and other sort of uh, <clears throat> uh, conduit metals like that in the south, in the mm. Katanga province, right up to if you move to the north, uh, northeast, in the Kivu part of the world, diamonds, gold, you name it. Um, mm. You know, even rare and precious metals. Um, the stuff that you use in your cell phone, mm. for example. I've just forgotten the name of the of the actual mineral. I think it's a, um, they call, they are, as a group, they are called rare earth elements. You know, but essentially, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> they, they, they con- almost control the market in that. Mm. But the problem is, even with all of those resources, their economy is not free. Yeah. It's run by politicians, essentially, mm. and a crony network of mm. politicians who are thugs. Um, and you see the outcomes of that, where the population becomes a excluded. They become economic mm. outsiders, and there's a very small elite of economic insiders, almost what you see in South Africa yeah. to a large extent. Um, okay, let's talk about this, because essentially the Congo does what South African politicians would want to do, mm. which is to... Uh, put all the power and the resources into the hands of bureaucrats yeah. and politicians. Why is that a bad thing? So there's a reason why this uh, there's such a thing as a, a resource case. 
So the, the 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 resource case is this phenomenon where you have the the countries which the most resources, whether it be oil, gold, or anything else, uh, they tend to be poorer than the countries which have no resources. Countries like uh, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Mauritius, now um, Rwanda. Like it's 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 a phenomenon that says. Uh, that that is baffling unless you understand the importance of individual liberty, because when 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 there is resources, government is incentivized into seizing that resources and just you know uh, living off that. Resource. They don't need you as people. They can just live off that particular resource. They can get whatever corrupt chronic deals they need and become rich. I mean, they, I think this happens in uh, Angola as well where the ruling family became the richest people in the country because they just seized the country's resources. So resources are easy. You can just become wealthy as a politician of resources without having to do anything for your people. Mm. Now, if you have no resources and you're a politician who wants to raise taxes, the only part that you have is to basically empower your uh, individuals in your country to uh, be economically free, to generate that wealth and pay taxes to you. And so this is why, like you, you'll find that the countries with no resources, because just the in, it's just how the incentives are aligned. Because if you have nothing, then you you have to uh, allow your people to be free in order to generate the wealth that is necessary. In in using the mechanism we talked about earlier, where two, three people, four people, five people get together, join towards a venture, mm. and execute uh, and save other people. So it's uh, it, it, I think that would explain um, most of it. Now South Africa used to be one of the like a few countries with resources and like a relatively sane economic policies this changing now but uh, I, unfortunately I, I i hope we don't become just another example of the resource case yeah. absolutely um Bianca, as we maybe move towards the tail end of this conversation um i want you to paint i want you to paint a vision for us mm. <clears throat> your vision must do two things number one how do we stop the bleeding how do we stop the collapse of economic freedom in South Africa? Yeah. And you can touch on certain topical right now policies, mm-hmm. NHI, prescribed mm-hmm. assets, blah, 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 um, in terms of, of making your case. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done that, <clears throat> in other words, the turnaround, talk to us now about the climb. Yeah. What do we need to do? What policies must we see um, be put in place for South Africa to uh, become some of the most prosperous property owning and freer society. I'm going to give you a solid five, eight minutes to do that for us. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of uh, the, the things that we need to, share, of course, you've mentioned some of them. Things like the NHI, uh, things like EWC. We just need to junk those. I mean, in, in fact, the the recent Treasury policy document that was released basically uh, says as much without uh, saying it explicitly. So basically it says that, uh, for example, there's a line in that document that says um, uh, institutions underlie economic growth. So institutions such as private property rights. So the the entire document is filled with references like that. So you know that these people who wrote this, they understand Mm. (laughs) the things that you are talking about, the things that you need to... uh, to, to get economic uh, prosperity. And so they are, they are sort of trying to nudge government in that direction. And so things like prescribed access just need to go. And we also have, like, what the, one of the things that are less spoken about, uh, we have one of the most, the biggest regulatory states anywhere in the world. So uh, this is uh, South African regulations going to every area. Yeah. Uh, one of my articles <coughs> I just released this week uh, was uh, basically showing that if you want a banking license, let's say the simplest banking license to get is a mutual banking license, which means all your depositors are basically the owners of the bank. Mm. 
an example would be VPS. Mm. To start a mutual bank, you need 10 million rands to government. No, you don't. You, it's, it's not. It's not the license fee, but it's the capital requirement. Mm. So you need to have 10 million rands before you can even operate as a going entity. It doesn't matter if your depositors are like 100 rands, 10 rands. If you want to start a mutual bank, which is essentially the simplest bank to be able to start, mm. you need 10 million rands. Now. If you go towards uh, studying a commercial bank, it actually gets interesting because I think you need about something like 250 million rents to start a commercial bank. And so if, if you have, basically, if you have shareholders who will take deposits from people who are not owners of the bank, you need 250 million rents. There's no other way. So to be a deposit-taking institutions, which has uh, as shareholders who are not the same people as the depositors, you need 250 million rents. And I will repeat this again, because people always ask, oh, why isn't there a black bank? And it's, the answer is staring them right in the face. <laughs> because there's just so, so many regulations. So South Africa is a regulatory state. Uh, we need to uh, just repeal the regulations and this is the point that the treasury policy document was making as well that we need to essentially uh, they, 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 they talked about reviving the DA's red tape impact assessment act which they tabled as a private member's bill before which would have essentially committed government to reduce red tape by 20% over five years and to keep reducing it continuously over time. Mm. And so this was, uh, so the, the treasury, uh, treasury has now backed that uh, particular bill, which is a very good thing. And so, uh, like, it, it has a lot of good ideas. I mean, I think it's the best document coming out of government I've read in a while. Mm. Uh, so it, it, it's not perfect, of course, it's government. There are, uh, there are still some things that are of concern, like uh, proposed interventions, like this idea that government, in order to promote um, demand for local manufacturers, they have to, uh, like, you know, just basically uh, buy from these people. And it's... Uh, I, like you can't distort markets like that. Markets have choose have to choose winner, winners and losers. You can't have government choosing because invariably they will they will choose on some other basis other than uh, are, they, are these people uh, offering a good service or not, and and they will, and they just don't know what consumers need. Consumers should have the final say always, and that's how markets are able to function efficiently because they serve our needs. Mm-hmm. They don't serve Mr. Ramaphosa's needs. They don't serve uh, Mr. Plain's needs. They serve our needs as ordinary South Africans who go to uh, your local tax shop every morning or you go to wherever you go to to shop that's the, the, that's what markets do and that's and that's what they are best at and so this is uh, i hope i hope uh, a lot of the requ- um the the proposals are, are are implemented but we'll see in terms of uh, the climb back i've actually written a document uh, i've written a document about this uh, in terms of the priorities for reform uh, so just very quickly where do we find that document uh, it's on it's on my website it's mpiakelamini.com and you click on reports and it's uh i let me just check what, what i labeled it i think it's called priorities for growth or something like that yeah all right i'll link that um yeah. website in the description of this uh, soundcloud yep so i uh, when i when i did my research i found that inflation uh, like which is basically the cpi in the most recent year i was looking at the efw in relation to policy reform so if you if the best thing to do like uh, the first thing that you focus on is controlling inflation which means is uh, like one example one proposal that the route has made is that we kept uh, uh, our expected inflation rate at 2% mm-hmm. which is what also new zealand did that same thing as well 
it's no coincidence that they are, they are one of the freest countries now and i'm actually reading a book on how they achieved that and so they they did all of those things like that i think originally the proposal came from milton friedman mm-hmm. currently in south africa uh, it's uh, between 3 and 6% is our yeah and uh, and davicha says we need to keep it at 2% mm-hmm. and so if you do that research you see that we will go to about in the we will go from uh, the the hundreds or the 90s i can't remember right now but to the, around the 70s in terms of improving our inflation score in the efw it's not ideal i, I would ideally prefer us to be like in the top quartile but uh, it's a start so if we follow that idea and then maybe make further reforms along the way because it just doesn't make sense for a a, a developing country or any country really to, to tolerate the uh, the watering down of savings of its citizens through inflation so it doesn't make sense in the absence of a gold standard it's okay fine we accept we have a fiat standard now but controlled inflation be be more aggressive when targeting inflation and so the second variable uh, interestingly enough that i found was important for economic growth or policy reform was uh, the gender variable the fw has a gender variable within their rule of law component and so what i found is that uh, like the countries that uh, treat women equally in the law tend to do better economically than countries that repress women i mean like this is uh, this is one of the big problems holding back uh, many countries in the middle east because they still haven't allowed uh, women to have effective equality but it's also in in south africa we have uh, in in our written laws or in the common law and the constitution there is no discrimination but in customary law like there's uh, there's there's some discrimination because like you know one of the things that happens is that women can't really inherit under customary law i mean the courts have tried the the, the common law courts have tried to change this but it's uh, it's still going to be a struggle changing people's traditions and cultures through through courts is never easy but it's uh, th- those things are part of the reasons why the the cases and rural cases and it's one of the poorest regions in the country because we just don't uh, allow women to be equal to men within the law uh, all laws whether it's customary common or constitutional law and then the third variable interestingly enough was foreign ownership or investment restrictions so the the, the easier you make it for foreigners to invest in the country the more capital you will attract and so in south africa this means in practical terms resuscitating the uh, bilateral investment protection treaties that we junked unilaterally under under minister uh rob davis so we junked those uh, very important uh, assurances for foreign investors that your property will be safe if you invest in south africa and so we can't we, we can't be surprised that we've lost so much investment another thing would be in terms of mining just going back to the old system where people could uh, uh, own uh, could own the property rights themselves the, the mineral rights yeah uh, instead of instead of being licensed by the state to mine and so this is the, all of these things have affected investment into the country if we could reverse that trend that would uh, obviously attract more investment and another thing that you would do obviously would be to uh, do away with the, the, the exchange controls is actually one of our lowest uh, sub variable scores in south africa i think we're something like uh, 3 point something out of 10 which is very bad but I, i would need to check that but yeah it's uh, so those are i i i things but at this more <laughs> i actually did five things the fourth thing that i found was that impartial courts So what has happened in South Africa is that um uh, 15 out of uh, 23 I think of the P- uh, members of the Judicial Services Commission are, are appointed by politicians. 
Now, compare this to the top-ranked country in, in terms of this variable, where most of the uh, of their version of the Judicial Services Commission, most of it is like it's 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 in the constitution. It's like um, uh, the law, the law society has a seat, the 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 prosecutors have a seat, the attorneys have a seat, and then government is actually a minority in appointing people. Most of these people are just coming independently based on their positions in these various institutions, and they. Uh, Unsurprisingly, they have the uh, the best partial cause variable in South Africa. In South Africa, we don't have this, so it's uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's something we need to change. And then the last thing is administrative requirements. We speak to the regulations we spoke about, mm-hmm. so the the compliance cost, the red tape, <coughs> and so this is uh, those are would be my top five priorities for reform. Yeah. Comprehensive, and I'm sure, as I said, I will link this descriptor or this um, the uh, the article in the descriptor of this sound uh, clip. And um, maybe on that note, Mpiake Yamini mm. from the Free Market Foundation, let me say thank you very much for joining me. Um, Thanks for having me, man. Amen. And this will obviously yeah. not be the last time. I think there's so much that yeah. we um, can chat about, you know, and we're mm. actually having a chat off air yeah. about how, you know, a, a lot of young, black, freedom-loving voices mm. are often lost and we want to build yeah. that capacity. We want to create those platforms for that. Um, so, Biake, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, how do we find you on Twitter, very quickly? Uh, Twitter is touring underscore 1991. Uh, Facebook is just Biake Lamini. And then my web, web personal website is biakelamini.com. Lamini with an H. Perfect. Yeah. There you have it. Biake, thanks a lot again. And um, thank you, the listener, for joining for uh, me on this one. This is a bit of a longer one, but um, no stress. I think the content is really good. Um, shout out again to the Frederick Nauman Foundation. Guys, my name is Big Daddy Liberty. You can find me on all your social media feeds. Just search for Big Daddy Liberty. Remember, I do put out some shows, the Big Liberty Show, which is out every week, uh, usually on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And of course, every two weeks, Blacks Only, which features Mpiake, where we take a dig at society's obsession with race by suggesting that the real devil that matters not race but intellectual diversity um you can watch out for that too guys thank you so much for listening to liberty and friends i will see you guys next week